there, Bulldogs. Welcome to Career Chat. This is Kylie, your host, an alumnus of DeSales University and a former career ambassador. I am super excited to be hosting this podcast to help provide all of you guys with valuable information relating to career development. Prepare to hear from our professional staff, students, and DeSales professors as we help you explore your interests, develop your skills, and implement a plan for a fruitful career in the future. With that being said, let's get started with this week's episode. All righty. Well, thank you, Scott, so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, Kylie, really great to be with you today. Awesome. So, Scott, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and sort of how you came to DeSales? I know you're, you're newer to DeSales. If you could sort of catch me up to date about your journey here. Well, great question. And as, as you ask it, we look at the calendar and it's October 27th. So I've been here just shy of two months. Wow. I'm here at DeSales University and uh, I'm proud to, to, to be, I'm honored, quite frankly, to be in the position um, of Associate Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Um, and that's the inaugural um, role here at DeSales is serving as the senior diversity officer, if you will. Um, and this is an up and coming, a rising um, position, not just in higher ed, but really just in business and industry as a whole, as organizations, as colleges, as universities are looking at now this mission critical value of being mindful of DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace, in the student experience. So again, I've been here just shy of two years, uh, or two months, sorry. And just prior to that, I spent just uh, right around two years at Northampton uh, Community College as their inaugural chief diversity officer. So that's been my time here in the Lehigh Valley since the summer of 2018. Uh, Prior to that, I spent 12 years in central New York um, in higher education. So that's a little bit about uh, my journey and what I bring um, here to to DeSales University. Awesome. So do you mind mentioning a little bit about your role here at DeSales? So I know this is a newer role. So sort of what is the purpose of your role and what do you hope to achieve in your role at DeSales? Again, great question. And not just this role, I'll also just speak to this role within the landscape of of business industry, higher education. Uh, And again, it's institutions recognizing that we need to be more mindful about um, how are we doing with respect to diversity in our organizations. Diversity often means representation. So um, are we having opportunities for access for um, underrepresented students of color, professionals of color, um, women in STEM, all those different examples that speaks to diversity. Inclusion is how are we creating opportunities for us to be our authentic, genuine selves in the workplace, in the classroom. And we can talk about examples about that in a minute. Um, but again, it's recognizing that we need to be more mindful of that. So as institutions create that value statement, that mission critical commitment, it's finding individuals to help lead the institution in that direction. Uh, No different than a chief information officer in Mm -hmm. some respects, right? So we need to be more technologically savvy. We all have a responsibility of doing that on our own, but every institution needs a leader to ensure that we're being compliant uh, with any sort of regulations, uh, we're being mindful of current best practice and research. So, so that's the that's the purpose of the creation of a senior diversity officer, if you will. It's to help create that institutional uh, mission, uh, and then looking down again at things such as inclusive hiring, diversity in our curriculum, inclusion in how we teach. And of course, um, our, our, our student support offerings. Great. Thank you. And I think it is, it is really important that we are responsible for this. You know, employers, universities, any, any place is responsible for ensuring that this is happening. And I think that's an important point. Um, I think so often sometimes think that people think that it isn't their problem, um, but we're all accountable for it. And I think that's very, very important. There's definitely an opportunity here, Kylie, and, and, and the part that I think is really important for us to, to recognize is that our 
organizations, I'm just going to use that term broadly, we've been diverse. Uh, we need to define what diversity means. And generally in higher education, diversity speaks to, again, the variance in who we are, the, the identities, the ethnicities, the you know, gender identity, uh, backgrounds, all those different things. So it comprises items like I mentioned gender, our ethnicity, um, where we grew up or maybe where, you know, where we're from, that geographic representation. It comprises first years and transfer students. That's all a part of our diverse makeup. And again, our institutions have been diverse, but we haven't spent enough time thinking about inclusion, right? Diversity mm -hmm. just describes who we are. Inclusion is the actions in which we go about to ensure that that variance in our experiences are able to come together. Um, and when we say come together, to be their, their genuine selves, right? It's not a one size fits all, we're all the same. No, no, no. We all have things that make us unique. Yeah. Uh, and it's leveraging that. So th that's in a variety of different ways. I know in higher education, we spent some time thinking about how do, how do we go about supporting transfer students, for example, because the experiences, the identities they have when they come to an institution are different than a first year student. So how do we create experiences that are mindful of those different experiences, right? That's the inclusion piece. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much more to it. We talked about students of color, um, women, uh, and other genders also for, for men, because we can be underrepresented in fields, fields as well. Uh, but that's, that gives a little bit of a snapshot of the work. Yeah. And I think too, one of the things I'd, I'd love to touch upon a little bit more um, and something that I was doing when I was fielding these questions is people have questions about disability being part of diversity. So a lot of um, people, especially um, from what I gauged in medicine, you know, medicine is highly ableist. So there's not uh, as much diversity as people would hope in terms of disability. So do you mind mentioning and just kind of clarifying to people who are listening how disability is included in diversity and specifically how, you know, we need to work further on inclusion in that sense as well? You know, Kylie, that's a really, that's a really good question. And, and, and to answer that, what I would state is we all have a uniqueness in that space with respect to abilities as opposed mm -hmm. to disabilities, right? Um, and that terminology has, has advanced, has changed, it's become more inclusive over the years. I mean, there was a time in which we were, um, we were identifying um, some of the members of our community as handicapped, that mm -hmm. transition to disability. And now we're, again, getting into a space, uh, a, a space of talking about abilities as a whole. And again, that's, that's, a, that's an area with continued focus. Uh, we now have terminology that identifies some of this work with respect to neurodiversity. And, and again, as educators, this is not unknown territory. Um, we have we have spent a lot of time. There are, there is much research and best practice that talks about, for example, in the classroom, uh, faculty being mindful of the different learning styles that we have. Right, that's part of that ability conversation that we all engage with the material in a different way. Some of us are visual learners. Some of us are uh, hands-on learners, and, and everything in between. So, so the ability item is really important. One example. There's so much to that, Kylie. Mm -hmm. It quick is. It's a lot. <laughs> right. Right. But one quick example that I that I reference with respect to ability is, and again, there's so much to this. But one example is some of us may identify as having what's called um, color, being colorblind, right? Mm -hmm. That we can't see all this, all the colors in the spectrum, the greens and the reds. And, and that's a real thing um, because we have environments in, that are not mindful of the variance of that, that identity. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of our colleagues here at DeSales have heard me speak of this over the course of the last two months. It's things like, are the, what, what are the out of bounds lines on a playing field? Uh, mm -hmm. What colors do we use, right? Some playing oh, fields wow. have red lines on a green soccer field. So if that's I never an identity. I thought of that, yeah. Right. And that wow. comes from a place of, 
of, of bias. And that bias is most of us don't have that identity. So if we're not intentional of recognizing the variance, we can create environments that don't have that consideration. And that doesn't come from a place of intent to do harm, right? It just comes from a place in which we don't recognize that um, others have an experience that might be different than ours. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, there's so much more to that. Again, sometimes I talk about, think about those of us who may have, uh, may identify as being left-handed, right? Left-hand dominant. We live in a right-hand dominated world, right? So ask yourself the next time you walk into a classroom, how many left-handed desks are there, right? And just to kind of navigate that journey. Mm-hmm. So that ability question, um, there, there are so many opportunities for us to really think about that with respect to inclusivity. And I hope that, yeah. um, that ex- those two examples help shed some th- light on that. I think that's important too. I think it really is um, a focus on the inclusivity. I think, you know, it's just about making the opportunities available. It's not something that we often think about. So even people with um, like physical disabilities who may have difficulties uh, navigating buildings or something of that sort, obviously there's laws in place that um, yes. like schools need to have certain things in in place but the thing is is are we doing what we should be at our best capacity or are we doing what is just minimally required like how can we make the lives easier for all students not just those who who may not be experiencing this Kylie that's fantastic and that that introduces a concept that's known as universal design mm-hmm. right that when we look at creating opportunities that are mindful of that variance of our experiences, we then create adaptations or remedies that not only help um, members of our community with that identity, but actually it helps all of us. Uh, so I mentioned the the, the desk example, mm-hmm. right? Left hand, right hand. So what do we see now? We see the creation of desks that now have... Just have everything, uh, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's wow. able to right? It's able to pivot in a way in which doesn't matter which, um, if you have a hand dominance, right, right hand, left hand, or maybe um, you use other items to be able to record, um, you know, record a lesson, whatever the Mm -hmm. case may be. Uh, So that adaptation has a universal Mm-hmm. Uh, adaptation there. One of the one of the, one of the examples I give as well is uh, some some of us who are, are taller than than others. Uh, some of those desks may not work for us. And again, even that universal Never adaptation. Have that of, <laughs> yeah, that helps us, right? Because now yeah. we can get our knees underneath the desk. So yeah, uh, again, a really simple example, um, but but there's there's a lot of relevancy there. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that I know a lot of DEI practitioners use as a example of universal design is the cutouts in a curb, right, on a sidewalk. Those are often done um, for um, members of our community who may be in a wheelchair and things like that, but it helps all of us, right? How many times have you been carrying uh, a suitcase to the airport and that curb cutout helps helps you out, right? So that universal design item is is a very important uh, one to highlight. Great. So moving on a little bit, why don't we talk a little bit about some current issues uh, surrounding the lack of DEI in the workplace? What do you think are some of those issues that employers or universities or organizations in general face? Uh, very active topic for conversation in in mm-hmm. in the work. Uh, everything from benefits. Uh, to workplace environments and, and everything in between. So again, it t- doesn't take too much time for someone to, uh, to to search this item. And you look at things like, for example, benefits and recognizing that for health benefits, um, institutions need to be more mindful of the variance of the experiences of our employees, mm-hmm. right? Not all employees, for example, come from the traditional um you know, household dynamics of, of, uh, two individuals with the child and all those different things. Right. So do you have benefit offerings that, um, are, are responsive to that? Um, I'm proud to be employed at an institution whose benefits at the sales university are mindful of that, Mm -hmm. which is, which is great. So a shout out to, to DSU (laughs) and our human resources colleagues here. Um, other things such as the physical environment of your, 
workplace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's things such as there's been a lot of attention on the bathroom space because there's some gender norming societal messaging with respect to those physical environments. So uh, why is it that the changing tables for a child are only in the women's room, but they're not in the men's room, right? So those are some of the things that not just in a workplace, but just environment as a whole, we're looking at um, to create more inclusive environments. And again, we can, we can kind of go on and on there, but uh, some of those things are in policy, mm-hmm. in practice, and some of them are in, again, the physical structures of an institution. Um, and we need to be cognizant of that because if you're not able to be your holistic, your, your whole, your whole self, sorry, not holistic, mm-hmm. um, your authentic, genuine self in your environment as an employee or as a student, you're not able to perform at your best. Mm-hmm. No, There's, you're right. Absolutely. Um, so what are some questions that students could ask employers to gauge a company's commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion? So say like a student it wants to make sure that the environment is going to be safe for them and they're going to support them. Obviously, like you said, there's policy in place, but, you know, policy is bare, bare minimum. You know, what is an employer doing outside of that to work towards more diversity, equity, and inclusion? Oh, wow. That's a great question. And especially, Kyle, I want to commend you because you you continue to reference the fact that some of these requirements are the minimum and you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's, let's use Title IX for an example. And for those of you that are watching or, or listening from afar, um, you know, Title IX is, um, is law that essentially says that you can't discriminate based on gender. So, you know, and, and some of the things that are there, again, that's just baseline guidance of, you know, don't harass, don't be discriminatory, but what, what can you do to rise above um, some of those minimum uh, requirements there um, with respect to creating uh, inclusive environments in our, in our institutions? Some of the things that students and employees can look at is actually, you don't even, you don't even have to ask the question. It's look at their websites, right? Do they reference the diversity of their workforce in higher education uh, I think we're doing a better job mm-hmm. of communicating on the front end. What are the demographics of our student population? I have a question about that, though. So sure. my <laughs> my understanding is that I feel like a lot of companies and universities may be doing that to put it on the forefront that they are diverse, but it's not actually the case. So that was my only hesitation because I I know you could like look at a website and you can see like, Oh, there's a diverse student population, but how do you know that they're actually supporting them rather than just like putting it out there and being like, yes, I'm the most diverse school, but like, you're not actually. Yes. Well, this is really, really good. So the first thing is again, start with the data. Do they communicate their data? Do they articulate, Hey, here's the percentages of, um, our, 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 our male to female ratio, for example, mm-hmm. for those who, um, for, for that space, um, here's our students of color breakdown. The first thing is, is the data present mm-hmm. next? It's then having those questions about, okay, what are your actions to create an inclusive environment? And some of these things you can, um, investigate prior to engaging with an institution, whether it's a college or an employer. Mm -hmm. So do they have um, affinity groups that support the unique and various backgrounds that students and employees have? Um, In the workforce, those are called employee resource groups, ERGs, Mm -hmm. or affinity groups. Um, And in some of my relationships with business and industry here in the Valley, many businesses have very well-established ERGs. Uh, So that's a great sign. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're mindful of the fact that uh, we need to create spaces for our underrepresented identities to to be themselves and to come together and talk about their experience. That's great. Um, Again, look at benefits. Are they responsive to the various experiences of their employees. We mm-hmm. talked about that um, with one example with uh, health benefits, right? Um, so, so there's a variety of different things that you can see before you ever engage. But then once you engage, it's to listen to the questions you're asked. Does the institution ask you as a candidate about 
your commitment to DEI, because what pedagogical interests, what professional interests do you have that if we hire you as an employee, you can then help us in advancing the institution's commitment, right? Are they asking you that? If they're not, then maybe they're not about it as much as they say that they are, right? I would say too, sorry to interrupt. Um, no, I would say too, um, the thing is, is like everyone's commitment to DI, not just people of color, not just people yes. outside of that, because I see so often, um, I have a friend who went to graduate school uh, for the sciences and she is, she's a black uh, woman. She identifies as um, in the LGBTQ community. And of course, one of the first questions she got asked when she went there is, would you like to hold a seminar about diversity? She just wants to be a student. You know, like she's not there to be the spokesperson for anything, although she may, she may love to do that. Um, but just kind of, it just seems almost predatory in a sense for employers and some universities to use this to their advantage, but only cherry pick who they want to be kind of the face of what their, what their ideals are. Well, Kylie, what you're introducing, and again, there's a number of um, articles that that highlight the fact that unfortunately, as institutions advance DEI, the burden often falls on the shoulders of underrepresented members of the community, right? Mm -hmm. And again, that speaks to one of your earlier comments and questions in which we all have the responsibility to advance this. So really quick example. Let's say I'm a faculty member in a health profession field, right? Um, as you're preparing students, uh, what sort of discussions, exercises are, are the students going through in which we're introducing DEI in their discipline? Uh, well, Scott, what sort of examples? Is that really a thing? Uh, yes. Let's yeah. look at the last seven months with respect yep. to COVID, right? There's been a ton of, of items that's highlighted the health disparities that communities of color and other populations have experienced during this time. So let's talk about it. Why is that the case? Is it because of the bias we have when we engage with one another? How do we confront those, those bias items? And again, we do have bias, right? We all do, as mm -hmm. I referenced before with the, the colorblind example. So it's again, how do we confront that? So we all have a space to talk about that in our discipline. And if we do that, one, that's lessening the burden on others, as you mentioned by your comment. Um, but two, again, we're meeting the responsibility we have as an institution of higher education for preparing our students for global engagement when they uh, complete their program, their degree with us, because the world is diverse, mm -hmm. right? The professions that they're in are diverse. And if we're not tapping into that, we're doing our students a disservice uh, for when they complete their program here. Absolutely. So moving on, um, I think people sometimes think, oh, well, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't involve me. I, I have no idea why it would be bad for, you know, there to be a lack of diversity or it's something they just don't even think of. So how is this lack of diversity and inclusion negatively impacting businesses and healthcare and organizations as a whole? So basically, Ooh, okay. why, why does it matter? I mean, that's a Big question. We could have an entire podcast on why all of this, <laughs> not like every question could be a podcast, but, um, so kind of why is, why is the lack of diversity negatively impacting organizations as a whole? The lack of diversity and lack of inclusion. Why does it affect organizations as a whole in a negative way? Well, if you don't have various perspectives in the room, when you're making decisions, you're not looking at the whole picture, right? Mm -hmm. So let's use let's use an example. Let's say I'm a I'm a sports equipment company, right? And I'm developing products. Um, if I don't have diverse perspectives in marketing and design, I'm going to miss opportunities to be able to market to mm -hmm. the first clients in which we're trying to connect with. So let's talk about gender, right? There was a time that if you identify as female and you wanted to go buy a t-shirt or sports apparel, it generally was designed for men and you just kind of had to figure out a way to make the shirt work for you, right? But we've seen over the course of the last five, 10 years that, wait, hold on a second, um, our apparel should be designed for folks other than, than those who identify as male, right? That's a mm -hmm. current thing. Uh, and that came from that space of having more 
diversity, more variance in experiences in the room when we're making those decisions. And when we do that, we then can create approaches that are more inclusive, mm -hmm. right? So that's an example that if we don't do that, we're missing opportunities. Yep. We're missing opportunities to be able to connect with the variance in our, in this case, our customer base. Yeah. And I think too, um, just like soapbox for a second, like yeah, when I grew ahead. up, <laughs> when I, I know, I know I told you this story before, but when I grew up, I went to private school. It was very much same, same socioeconomic standing, you know, same people. They all look the same. There was no differences. Absolutely not. And then I did my first two years at Rutgers and it kind of changed my life in terms of the di diversity. I really did not understand the world around me. And I learned so much about other people. And I realized how much I was missing out on. I only saw my world through my lens and what I was experiencing. And it was very humbling and honestly, very upsetting to see the experiences of people around me that I just was not paying attention to before. And yes. I, I think that's why it's so important. Because if you don't, you don't realize all of the things that are going on on in the world. It's not just about you. People are very self self-centered in the sense that they they focus on their journey sometimes, but we're all going through it at the same time. Um, but we all have very different experiences. So we're all running the race, but you don't know how many roadblocks are in the way for so many other people that you just do not realize unless you turn your head to the side. Great point. Kylie, great point. And in, in sharing that, we introduce a term called privilege. And that, that term privilege, sometimes there's, there's a huge misunderstanding of what that means, right? And, and again, think back to that example with respect to the colorblindness piece. Mm -hmm. I have a privilege of not having to think about that, right? That's a fact, right? I can navigate my world, my experience as a, as a, as a Latino male in American society, um, as a human not having to think about that identity. Um, and if we're not connecting with others to hear about their experiences, we're not going to be mindful of that. I was mm -hmm. in a, I was in a meeting uh, a couple of years ago in which one of my colleagues had made reference to the fact that um, the presenter was using a laser pointer mm -hmm. and the laser pointer, most laser pointers are either green or red. Mm -hmm. And again, oh. that colorblind example, some folks can't see it depending on the background. Mm -hmm. And the individual had said, hey, if you're using a laser pointer, I can't see it because yeah. right, I'm colorblind. So we don't know those things unless we share and, and tap into our, our backgrounds. And once we do that, then we recognize, oh, I need to make some modifications and adaptations. And I think through our conversation today, we've presented some things to, to consider, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's the bathroom example with respect to changing tables. It's the colors on the soccer field or a lacrosse field. It's the desks in the classroom. So then if we ask other questions about, well, what's it like for you as a underrepresented student on campus um, or as an underrepresented professional in the workplace? Um, what's your experience like if you uh, wear a hijab to work? Um, do you experience any sort of microaggressions, messages that make it feel as if you're not welcomed here, mm -hmm. right? Let, let's, we need to be mindful of that. And that will allow us to be a more inclusive community. That's a great, yeah, I like that. So moving on a little bit, um, I want to hit this example of one size fits all. And I thought, I know when we first spoke, this is something that kind of stood with me. Um, and I did a little bit more research on it. So what I had realized is that I want to apply to medical school. And one of the things I realized is it's a lot of dermatology books do not have people of color when they're looking at different diseases, which means that a lot of people of color have been missing and being misdiagnosed with what people assume are easy to catch diseases um, simply because of this one size fits all. So all of these dermatology books, all these presentations are not having like diverse skin colors shown and therefore people are getting misdiagnosed. So do you mind touching upon why it's important that we move away from this one size fits all idea? Well, and, and <laughs> this is a, this, that topic could be a podcast in another. Yep. <laughs> um, now we're introducing it. And this is, this is great, Kylie, the way you're putting these questions together, because we're also, 
very authentically mm-hmm. introducing <laughs> some really critical DEI terminology. So the, your question introduces equality and equity. And again, for those who are listening in, maybe you've seen this visual that's been presented to highlight the difference of those two terms, right? Equality means equal, the same. Uh, We're going to give everyone the same size shoe. Equity is, again, recognizing the variance we all have, and we're going to give you a shoe that fits, Mm -hmm. right? So the visual has been three people at a baseball game. There's a fence in front of them. Equality is each individual gets the same size box, Mm-hmm. But if you have someone who's six foot three, like I am, you don't need one. You probably don't need a box at all to see. No. Over the Five foot but, one me needs like four. <laughs> right. My daughter may need two boxes to be yeah. able to see over the fence. Right. So that's where equity is introduced that, okay, okay. we're going to give you the box that you need. Um, and then there's the social justice example, which is how about we remove the barrier that's creating the inequity. So instead of having the wood fence, you have, Uh, a see-through fence, Mm -hmm. right? So now that barrier has been eliminated and there's no need for boxes. So that's a very important item. And that one size fits all approach is something that's all over. You mentioned in health professions, uh, the first thing that comes into mind is not actually going into, um, into the, the doctor's office. It's, it's something very simple. And I think when you and I had, had met to prepare for this discussion, I had a Band-aid on my mm-hmm. um, and that one size fits all example is in that example, right? That many uh, over time, the band-aid, uh, the bandage on your finger, they have all been the same color. And mm-hmm. it assumes that we all have the same colored skin tone and we don't. Uh, and I remember referencing that because the bandage I had on was clear. So my, my skin tone was able to, to, to be seen through that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those type of examples are all over us, all, all, all around us. Um, and again, being able to, to recognize that we all have variances in our experiences. You might identify as Latino, Latina, Latinx. That doesn't mean we have the same experiences mm-hmm. and characteristics, right? There's variance in that. And we need to open ourselves up to listening to those experiences so that we can be more responsive in short. So kind of moving into something that I feel like is very applicable to the world we're in today and the seriousness of the world that's going on. What is the difference between talking about diversity for educational purposes versus for justice purposes. So are we doing this to make people quote unquote better or are we doing this to save lives? I feel as if sometimes we only think about the educational part of all this, but we do not focus enough on the gravity of the situation on a much larger scale. Um, And I think that's really negatively affecting how we're viewing the situation. So for example... What I would say, specifically in medicine, um, lack of diversity lowers quality of care. And specifically, certain groups are negatively affected. So if you look at uh, people of color who um, may be going in for labor and delivery, they have a higher rate of mortality. So this isn't just, oh, someone is not being inclusive. This is people are dying because people are not doing and thinking the way that they should. So do you mind just kind of elaborating a little bit on this concept? Well, in, in answer, a very, very good question. And, and a couple of things come to mind, Kylie, with that is, and again, we all have a, we all have bias, right? As we mentioned before, that bias comes from the experience and sometimes assuming that we all have the same experience. Um, and when someone presents something that maybe is a little different, how do we treat that? Um, how do we, how do we perceive that um, unique experience and how do we respond to it? And in your example, um, that, that presents itself in so many different ways, right? So I'm going to go back to your health question uh, mm-hmm. that you had asked a couple of minutes ago. So if, if a person of color or maybe just a, a, someone who identifies as female, you know, steps into a doctor's office and they share a concern 
are we able to, I want to say, address or confront the messages in our head that might say, respond as X and being able to push that away and authentically listen to the experience Mm -hmm. of the client, of the patient, and then create a response based on that. Right. And, and we all do that. Right. When when we're talking to a friend and they present something to us and they start to vent about something, we start to create a judgment in our head of, well, you should probably do this. Yeah. Um, and that comes from a place of listening to respond. And sometimes we don't spend enough time listening to understand mm-hmm. and think about what sort of variance in our answers we might have if we do more of the listening to understand as opposed to listening to respond. I hope that example makes sense. No, that does. Yeah. I so think it, it, it's important to, to listen because I think the listening is the thing that is saving lives. I think the listening and the advocating is the thing that really is going to help us move forward. Um, and I, I think that's really, really important because I don't think people do enough listening and looking at the data. I mean, like there's data about all of this. It's It's not like this isn't shown, which is the thing that kind of blows my mind is people, people just don't understand. Like there's this, all this data. And I know specifically in healthcare is the one thing I keep going back to, but there's so much data on, you know, mortality rates and and people of color who are women who are in labor and delivery. And that's insane. And people look at that and they say, no, that, that doesn't mean anything. And it's just, it's insane to me that just, they can't see, I guess. (laughs) But I, I don't know. I think it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting point. Well, and, and here's here's and again, why you what what you asked is is a very important item. That because whatever we're teaching, right? Whatever we're exploring in the educational environment, it should have an impact on something greater than ourselves, mm-hmm. right? So. Your, your your question was kind of you know around this saving lives and helping others all of this is in that space. Mm-hmm. It should be right. So as someone who as again, as a trained educator, my undergraduate degrees in education, you know, all of that work was spent on one learning your discipline, but then two, engaging with the variance that's going to be in the classroom in front of you, right? So how do you present the content in a way that's going to relate with the student and allow the student to be able to be a part of an environment that is welcoming to their mm-hmm. experience. That's important, right? Uh, you, you mentioned healthcare. That's important. So all of this ties into that. What we need to do more of is, again, listening to the experiences of those that are in our community to ensure we're being responsive, mm-hmm. right? We've explored some examples. Um, you know, I, I shared that really basic example about uh, the sports industry, right? There was a time in which the sports industry, and some would say that they're still there, but they have advanced. Um, but they, they were very narrow-minded in their marketing approach. Generally speaking, they were marketing their themselves to uh, a male-exclusive customer base, right? Mm-hmm. And if folks were to look back at marketing campaigns in the 1990s, 100%, you would, you would really have a hard time finding campaigns that um, marketed to, 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 to females, to those who identified as women in, the, in, 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 in that market. But that changed. And actually, there was an event that kind of helped that. It was actually the 1999 um, Women's World Cup. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> right. And, and that's, I think you started to see the, 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 the sports industry start to pivot there and recognizing, oh, we need to be a little bit more dynamic. Um, in this space. But again, those examples are out there like you shared. So what are we doing to leverage that to help Mm -hmm. inform um, more dynamic approaches in the work that we do? Yeah, I think, I think it's about the education, but also the application and the follow through. So like, it's not just enough to sit in a lecture and learn about diversity. It's about applying that and implying that inclusion to your life, which is the most important thing. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Right. That's the difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is again, that's who we are. We're Mm -hmm. diverse. Inclusion is quite frankly, what are you doing about it? What actions are you participating in to, to invite, to encourage, to ensure access um, of, of all, of all identities. Perfect. So last two questions I have for you. Um, So what are some ways that students can educate themselves on diversity, equity, and inclusion? 
Well, look at your discipline, right? So what's your major of study? Is it education? Is it business? Is it the arts? Is it health? Um, is it engineering? Is it the sciences? And explore that discipline with DEI. So a couple of things. Science. Uh, there has been uh, a reawakening of sorts of, you know what, we have dismissed, as an example, indigenous perspectives in the sciences for too long. Mm -hmm. And now we see the, hold on a second, there's so much to be learned here. Uh, let's take, for example, the wildfire, the fires out in the West Coast. And if we listened to our indigenous peoples, we recognize that in their relationship with the physical environment, they recognize that there needed to be some care to help kind of prevent um, some of those phenomenons from occurring. Mm -hmm. So we need to listen to that. We need to not be dismissive of other identities in this space. And often we've done that. Yep. that our way is the way. Um, so that's, that's one example of let's explore that. So the, the, the intersection of indigenous thoughts with sciences, there, there's a lot of opportunities there. We, we've talked about, you know, business a little bit. We've talked about health a little bit. Uh, the, the arts, again, the same, uh, whether it's the, the phenomenons we've seen at a pop culture level with things such as Hamilton, right? With that, because we see the power of representation, being able to see ourselves on the screen, on the stage. Um, but there's some things to kind of work through there, right? Um, because unfortunately, we have not been as inclusive in that space as we should be, yeah. as we could be. Um, so again, look at your discipline and, and explore, do some research. There's plenty of scholarship and research in your discipline that highlights some of the inequities and the opportunities to be more inclusive. Yeah, I think I think that is important. I think one of the things I, I learned when going through the sciences was looking at where we came from, where we are, and where we need to go. So like an example of where we came from, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Rosalind Franklin, um, who basically, she discovered uh, the x-ray, uh, she was an x-ray crystallographer who basically discovered the molecular structure of DNA. Um, and she got absolutely no credit. <laughs> so Watson and Crick, who are the more uh, famous white men, um, obviously uh, took all of that credit, of course. Um, so things like that. And then looking at where we are now. So where we are now, um, seeing uh, the two awards, the two women who just received the awards were CRISPR. But looking at where we need to go. So looking at the lack of diversity and fields within STEM. So engineering still is very, very not as diverse as it should be specifically to women, but also people of color, um, people of color who are geneticists. I know also have had a huge movement, um, for kind of advocating for more diversity and inclusion. Um, so things like that. So looking at like past, present, future, where do we need to go, but where are we currently and what should we be working on now is very important. Absolutely. Lessons learned. Um, 100%. Let's put stars and uh, <laughs> everything over what you just shared. Right. And, and as we navigate that, you know, give credit where credit is due. And as we mentioned, indigenous peoples, um, there's much discussion about um, that identity, especially with last week. Um, being Indigenous Peoples Day and the recognition of of of, of that identity. Uh, next month, November is Indigenous Peoples Month, um, but it's about more than that. It's some of these items that we're talking about. So for students, you know, lean in on some amazing scholarship and research in that space. Uh, a Dr. Robin Kimmer, um, a, a Hugh Burnham, who's doing some great work in 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 the student support uh, world. Uh, two dear former colleagues and, and, and friends of mine, and there's many others. Mm -hmm. um, so, so take a look at those opportunities. And again, wh what's the risk? Uh, what's the risk of, of having that inclusive mindset in the work that we do? Um, it's more inviting. Uh, it's more empowering. Yep. And again, especially if we look at some of these global um, big questions that need solving, um, it, our relationship with the physical environment around us, our, our engagement with our diverse communities and, and identities, uh, leaning in on inclusion is going to help us build better partnerships, better relationships, and better answers to, to solving some of these, uh, these questions that are in front of us now. Perfect. So last question I have for you is, 
how do we move to talking about language to empathy? So in other words, how do we get people with privilege to care, to care about the situation and to look to the sides and recognize what is going on outside of their tunnel vision? Well, what I would say to your privilege question is privilege is something that, that varies, right? And we've kind of explored that term a little bit this mm-hmm. t- today. Um, what, what I encourage for, for folks to consider is what, what privilege, let's use that term very loosely here, is that as a leader of a maybe academic unit or a college president or a CEO, um, all those different examples, captain of a sports team, you know, that, that position of influence that you have um, is one that if you're mindful of that and, you're, and you can leverage that, you can have amazing impact, right? So in this, in this DEI space, if you can create a message that articulates the value for us to be mindful of these items, your team will start to recognize that this is a space we need to be in. This is a space that I need to be mindful of, not just because our leader is articulating it, but we're starting to see the correlation between committing to this and outcomes, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's that business case, because now we can be more marketable to that diverse array of customers to empowering our employees so that they can be their genuine authentic selves in the workplace, which then allows them to be quite frankly, more productive, right? When we start to articulate those items, we then see ways in which we can advance this in our own respective professions, um, you know, leadership and responsibilities within an organization. That is critically important. So when you say privilege, I think about, you know, influence and, and the spaces in which we occupy as leaders in our own right. Mm-hmm. Again, captain of a sports team, coach of a sports team, uh, leader of an academic cluster, CEO and college president, all and everything in between. When we have that mindfulness, I think we can do a lot. And I think also just even on a micro level, making sure we're holding ourselves accountable and holding the people around us accountable. So we may not be CEOs of a company, but we know 10 to 20 people who we can call out on on things if, you know, they're not right. Um, I think so often we, we get nervous about, you know, feeling out of tone or feeling like we're overstepping a boundary, but it's, it's not about, it's not unprofessional to call someone out for discriminating or using microaggressions, you know, because if we don't hold people accountable, nothing's going to change. You know, and I think this is a good place for us to, to, to transition here, Kylie, is articulating and recognizing again that this is a new space for all of us, mm-hmm. right? So when we start talking about accountability, recognizing that we should not feel threatened by that, that again, we all have things to learn. And as, as we had discussed a few minutes earlier, they're not the same, but they have comparable, comparable characteristics in this space. We talk about technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we were in a space uh, 5, 10, 15 years ago, even six months ago, in which we felt particular way about some aspects of technology. Um, you know, I, I remember a time even just a year ago where I wasn't really all that sure about um, how accessible I wanted to present some workshops in Zoom. I thought that it had to be in person. Well, the last seven months have caused me to change that. Yeah. Right? And, now, and now I see new opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's important to recognize that when that if we have that invitation to kind of learn, mm-hmm. um, you know, what what may we what, what what will we learn and experience in in the process? And again, to have that invitation that we're all in this together, this DEI journey. We all have things to learn, uh, practitioners included. And we talk about that often when we come together. Um, and there will be missteps, right? There will be missteps. Um, it's being able to remedy and articulate those and to be able to continue to move forward, eyes mm-hmm. forward, as a dear colleague, Dr. Scott Richardson, um, speaks to. And if there's a misstep because of intentionality, 
well, then we address that, right? And that's discriminatory and harassing behavior. But I think we'll find that most times it's coming from a place of not knowing. Yeah. So if we can create that environment of, of openness, we can advance, we can move through and, and you attract more with honey than vinegar. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's important <laughs> to have that mindset as we, as we navigate this space together. Great. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Do you have anything you would like to kind of wrap up on this conversation about? Well, one, thankful for this opportunity to connect with you today, Kylie. This was a really fun exercise and and opportunity to discuss. And again, the the opportunity is is right in front of us. And for our students who are listening in, to our faculty and staff colleagues who are listening in, um, now's the time. Our, our business and industry friends are, 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 are recognizing the opportunity for DEI and how they support their employees and how they meet the needs of their, their customers and their community. So for us as an institution of higher education, engaging in this space uh, not only is taking care of ourselves, but it's also preparing our students for that global engagement. I'm excited to be a part of this journey here at DeSales and Kylie to have this opportunity to discuss it with you today. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, everyone. I first want to thank Scott so much for taking the time to have what is, what was a very long, but very, very interesting. And I think very important conversation in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I'm learning something every day. And I think Scott made some really, really great points that I think we should take with us as we move on in our future careers. Um, I think that Scott is a wonderful addition to the DeSales University community, and I'm very excited to see what he has planned for the future as well. So as we continue on with Black History Month at DeSales University, I wanted to recognize an event that will be occurring on February 25th, and this is with a nationally recognized diversity champion, Dr. Damon Williams, as part of the National Inclusive Excellence Tour. Like I mentioned before, this will be happening on Thursday, February 25th at 5 p.m. via Zoom. And this is a campus-wide lecture for all students, faculty, and staff. So I encourage all of you guys to Zoom in and learn a little bit from Dr. Damon Williams. Also join Scott Blair on Tuesday, April 13th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. as he moderates a panel discussion with local employers on the value that diversity, equity, and inclusion brings to the workforce. This is an event collaborated and organized by the Career Development Center, Alumni Engagement, and the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. With that being said, you all, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and have a great week.